Uh, well, we're finishing up this series today called Life Apps, and uh, we started out this series looking at a passage from the book of James in the New Testament. Okay, James was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote a book, that we, or a, a letter that we now have as part of our New Testament, and uh, it's called the book of James. In James 1.22, it says that you shouldn't just, de- you shouldn't deceive yourself by just listening to the word of God, but you should do what it says. And so we've used that, we've taken that, and we've applied it uh, to several areas of scripture. And we've said, hey, as Christians, we are supposed to be not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. We've said that in our life here on earth, that is really important that as Christians, that we are doers of the word, that it's all about application to our lives. And so over the past four weeks, we've talked about forgiveness and confession and generosity and trust as things that we need to be not just hearing about, okay, but, but doing and applying that scripture to our lives. And so this week, we get the privilege of talking about encouragement. And we're going to talk about how the words that you use can make all the difference for how you live and how the people around you live. And I'm like everyone else. I like encouragement every once in a while. And sometimes it comes to me in a little bit of a roundabout way, um, because I get the chance to be up here on stage, and I do really well to try to meet uh, as many people that come to our church as possible, but it's not always possible. But when I'm out in public sometimes, I get um, a look that I have now come to define as the, hey, you're my pastor look, okay? And so it goes something like this. Somebody's walking down the aisle of a shopping center or of a, a grocery store, and they'll do this. Like that, like I'm not supposed to be in the grocery store or something, or I'm at the gym and somebody's working out and I'll get the, uh, I look and somebody's always, you know, doing one of these, like, hey, you're my pastor, you know? And so um, I always try to make an effort to uh, learn, learn about them and say, hey, you, know, um, you know, you're my pastor, I've been coming to your church. And I'll say, oh, great, how did you find Genesis? And, and the conversation inevitably turns about to, to this. It's almost always like this. Do you know what I love about your church? I'm like, no, what? Why don't you tell me you know, what you love about our church? I really love the music. Like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I have a lot to do with the music. And so thanks for that. I never know if I should be encouraged. You know, Cameron, Cameron's always encouraged with that comment, you know, but I don't know if I should be encouraged or discouraged by that. I'm just kidding. I'm always encouraged uh, when somebody tells me they like something about our church. And as hard as we try to have a, you know, Bible-centered, you know, relevant message every week, I know that there are some people that are going to be drawn here uh, to the music and to the creative part of the, to, to what we do. That's why we do it. And so I don't, but I don't know how you're wired, but I love to get encouragement. Don't you love being encouraged? Do you like being encouraged? Yeah? Okay, good. Well, I see a lot of heads nodding. Uh, the first service didn't like being encouraged very much, but you guys seem to like being encouraged. So good job, everybody. Way to go. Um, maybe you've got those friends that laugh at everything you say, right? And so you like to, you feel like you're funnier around them. And so you try hard. You try harder when those people are around to be funny, right? Maybe you've got those people that you know are always going to encourage the way you parent, And so when you're having a hard time with your kids, you call up that one mom or that one dad, and you know that they're going to encourage you in the way you do that. Maybe you're a student, and you, whenever you're having a hard time in school, you've got that friend that you know is going to be able to help you with your homework, and they're going to encourage you in that and say, you've got this, you know you can do this. Well, we all like a little bit of encouragement uh, once in a while, and it can make all the difference for your day or even for your particular season of life. You know, S. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A restaurants. And somebody asked him one time, how can you tell when one of your employees, one of your managers, you know, one of the people that work for you needs encouragement? You know what he said? He said, if they're breathing. We all need encouragement, right? Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where encouragement, well, it's a little harder to come by, isn't it? Instead, the culture we live in seems much more comfortable with criticism and critique. 
than with compliments. In fact, a recent study by the Gottman Institute says that for every one encouraging compliment, or, uh, compliment we receive, for every one encouraging comment we receive, if you take all situations, all environments, okay, for every one um, positive comment we receive, we get six negative comments. There's six to one ratio in the words that we use of criticisms and complaints to compliments. But there are places where it's worse than that. And you know one of the worst places is at work. In the business environment, studies show that the ratio between complaints and compliments is about 10 to 1. So 10 negative comments for every one positive comment. Well, what does that have to do with scripture and life application? I'm glad you asked. I want to read something to you, uh, something written by someone that many people believe is the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, It's a man by the name of Solomon. Uh, Solomon wrote, uh, there are several scriptures that are attributed to Solomon, um, but the one that we focus on so many times is the book of Proverbs in our Bible, in our Old Testament. And, And whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to hear what Solomon wrote and see if you think he's right. Okay, even if you're not a Christian, I bet you hear this and you say, yeah, I think that's right. It says this, Proverbs 18.21. I've been reading the message this year, which is a different translation of the Bible, and it's really um, spoken some new life into my scripture, my study. And so I found this in the message, Proverbs 18.21. says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And so what Solomon is saying is that the words that come out of our mouth have the potential to be fruitful, right? To be fruit for someone, to be nourishing and encouraging, or to be poison. And that we get to decide. Okay, think about this. You can think about every word you say to somebody as one of these two things. I've got a nail and a match, right? Nails are used to build things, right? They're used to build things up. They're, they're, uh, they're positive, right? We, we nail things together and we build things up. Matches can be used to burn things down. Right? And every word we use has a potential to be one of these two things. You know, in reality, it may take six or eight or ten nails to rebuild the damage that one match can do. But in our world, when it comes to our words, their positions are switched. We see six or eight or ten matches for every one nail we receive. For most of us, that ratio is the other way around. Now, this has the potential to explain a lot, doesn't it? I mean, it has the potential to explain why the workplaces that we're in can be so negative and why morale can be so low at some of these places. I mean, think about it. If all you hear is criticism in your job, well, it's pretty hard to stay positive working on that job, isn't it? We all desire encouragement at our job. We want to know that our boss is happy with our work, right? That our customers or our clients or whoever we're trying to please, that we're pleasing them. We want to know that what we're doing is making a difference. And not just for our pocketbook, although that might be important too, but, but in the world. This not only explains why our workplaces are so stressful and negative, but why our marriage and our families struggle too. I mean, if all you hear from the ones you're, who are supposed to love you and support you is criticism, well, we know that that undermines relationships. I mean, if all you hear from your spouse is, you don't, you don't ever get this right, or why can't you ever be on my side? Or why don't you care about what I think? Well, that's, that's going to hurt. That's going to damage the relationship, right? It's going to weaken the relationship. Or, or students and young adults, if all you ever hear from your parents is, why can't you be more like your brother or your sister or the neighbor or whoever it is? Well, that's going to weaken that relationship, right? I mean, over time, words have the potential to destroy the relationship. Probably you, you may have experienced this. 
I mean, maybe as a kid, all you heard were uh, things like, you could be doing so much better, and you're such a waste of potential, you've got so much talent, why aren't you making use of it? Well, you know the effect that that can have, right? That's why encouragement is so important. Encouragement has the power to build people up. Well, discouragement, criticism, negative comments have the people to tear, or have, the, have the potential to tear people down. And so I just want to ask you, okay, just do some, some self-evaluation this week. And think about your last week. Think about your words that you've used. You know, at work, at home with your family, with your friends, maybe with your kids, among your peers. How many times did you complain and criticize and critique? And how many times did you encourage and compliment? How often could your words be described as encouraging versus discouraging? Did you spend more time building people up or tearing people down? Now, I'm not asking you this because I want to send you on a guilt trip, okay? But what I want you to see is that our words have the potential to make a huge difference in people's lives. I mean, we all know that intuitively, but we don't always think about it when we get ready to say something, right? When we get ready to use those words. In fact, the Bible shows us that when we encourage others with our words, two things happen. And we'll talk about those two things today. But the first thing is that when we encourage others, they're lifted up, right? We know that. That's why we do it. When we encourage others, they're lifted up. But, but this is interesting. The second one might surprise you. Scripture teaches us over and over again when we encourage others that we're encouraged too. And so as we look at Scripture today, I want to start in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's in your New Testament. It's near the end of your New Testament. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. And This is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a, in a place called Thessalonica. Uh, now, it's a letter to the Christians who were living in that city. Now, Thessalonica was a busy seaport uh, on the Aegean Sea. Uh, one of the major Roman roads ran right through the area to the city of Thessalonica. And it was a big city, uh, lots of people, very cramped place, very cosmopolitan place, okay? And Paul helped establish this church in Thessalonica. In fact, you might say that Paul was one of the very first, maybe the first, multi-site church pastors. Because he established these churches, all these different cities, and then he would often write these letters, like 1 Thessalonians is a letter written from Paul uh, to the church in Thessalonica, and it was meant to be read aloud as a sermon. And so Paul was actually writing this letter, but he was writing a a sermon in effect, And, and the Bible is full of these, what we know as the epistles or these letters from Paul that were written as sermons to be read aloud uh, to the church. And so Paul was pastoring the people in Thessalonica, because in Thessalonica, times were tough for those people in the church. Now, because of their faith, they were frequently persecuted. In fact, even to the point of death for some of them. In spite of these challenges, though, this church was, was full of these enthusiastic believers, these people um, that really wanted to follow Christ with their life, even though they were being persecuted for it. And so with this letter, Paul reminded the people to endure persecution. He kept pointing to the hope that they had in Christ, and he kept pointing to their faith and their devotion, their faithfulness that they were well known for. And, and he talks about uh, Jesus, and he talks about the second coming. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he offered some important words for how they should treat each other in the church. And it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he said, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And so these Christians in Thessalonica, they saw persecution all around them, okay, persecution even to the point of death. 
And they were in this big cosmopolitan city that was in a Greek part of the world that probably, stu- that probably worshipped a lot of other gods, a lot of the Greek gods. And they probably looked silly because of their faith. But they were known for courageous faith. And so Paul is telling them, hey, encourage one another in your faith. Paul reminds him, he says, encourage each other, encourage the other believers about the certainty we have in Christ and encourage them about the promise of eternal life and build one another up. Now, encourage is from the Greek word paraklesis. If you've done any Greek study, you may know that it's interesting that this word is the same word, that's the same root that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit when he was talking about coming to send the Holy Spirit. He said, I'd come and send a paraclete, uh, the same word. Uh, which is someone who comes alongside of with insight or instruction. Okay? It's someone to walk along with you. And so that's the same word that Paul used to the church when he's telling them to encourage one another and build each other up. Now, here's what I love about this passage. Paul is telling them to be encouraging, but even as he's doing it, well, he's telling them in an encouraging way. He's not rebuking them or correcting them. In this passage, he says, encourage one another, build each other up, even in fact, as you are already doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And so here's the life application for us today. If we agree, and I think you all did a minute ago, that we all need encouragement. And if we buy this idea that kind of out there in the world, there's this ratio of negative comments to positive comments, whether it's 6 to 1 or 8 to 1 or 10 to 1, whatever it is, one thing, what one thing can we do to reverse this trend? You know, as Christians, what can we do? Well, it's what Paul encouraged the Christians in Thessalonica to do. It's to build each other up, to encourage one another. So who are we talking about? Well, I want, this is where I want to bring this whiteboard into play, okay? Because I want to make this as practical as possible for us uh, as we leave here. We talk about applying Scripture to our lives. I want to make it applicable in a way that we remember. Um, and so here's what I want to do. I want you to think about your life. This is not very circular. This is your life, okay? This is our first circle. So this is... Everybody that you encounter in life, a lot of people out here in this outer circle, okay, are uh, people that we maybe don't get a chance to interact with very much, but they're the people that work at the coffee shop or the gas station that we go to every morning. Uh, They're the neighbors that we see and wave at as we drive down the street, but we don't really know much about them. Maybe we know their names, but we don't really know their stories. They're uh, the other kids that we see in our school as we pass. You know, they're the uh, people in our workplace that we don't really interact with on a regular basis. These are the people in our lives, okay? It's maybe it's uh, the, the server that might wait on you at lunch today. It's the, the groundskeeper at your apartment complex, things like that. They're people that you know their face, you know them when you see them, okay, but you don't get a chance very much to interact with them. What words do you use when you encounter these people? Are they words of business transactions? You know, if it's a server in a restaurant, yes, I'll have, please, and thank you, and maybe you're polite. Are they words of discouragement? Boy, that took longer than I thought. Or are they words of encouragement? Do you take the time to notice if they feel stressed or discouraged or in need of encouragement? I mean, people waiting on you, they're providing a service to you. Do you take the time to compliment them with thoughtful words? Do you ever think about what it might mean to encourage them in some unique way? You know, in my family, I know like um, some of yours, uh, we pray before meals, even at restaurants. And um, I've got some friends that when they go to a restaurant, they will pray in the restaurant, but they will pray for their server and they will ask their server, hey, is there anything I can be praying for you about? And, And just think about that. Even if they're not a Christian, that's encouraging to them to know that somebody's thinking about them and maybe praying for them. 
You know, what way can you encourage these people kind of outside of your sphere of influence that are in your life? So many people are living under pressure and, and stress. And if you consider that when they go to work, okay, they're 10 times more likely to get a complaint than a compliment. They're 10 times more likely to hear a negative comment than a positive comment. You can see the impact that those have on people in our lives. And to think that you could make someone's day, turn their day around with just one positive word. I mean, think about what that would mean for you, okay? If a colleague that you don't work with all the time walked into your office unprovoked and told you what a great job you're doing on some project or on something that you're helping them with. And what if a stranger stopped you in a restaurant or a store and told you how well-behaved your kids are and you must be a great parent because you're doing a good job at this? I mean, encouraging words have the power to make all the difference for somebody else. And so we have these people that we don't really know that we interact with on an irregular basis. And then we've got these people in this second circle, this little closer circle, I'll call influence, okay? These people that we have an opportunity to influence. These are people that are a little bit closer. They're our coworkers, all right? They're the people you serve with here in church. There are our peers at work, our employees, our boss. They're uh, the kids or the parents of the kids that are on your kid's soccer team. Uh, they're uh, your kid's teachers. If you're a student, they're your classmates. They're your friends. Uh, they're um, your teammates, your band members. It's the friends and neighbors that we have some level of relationship, the neighbors that you stop and talk to in the yard. Okay, these are people inside of our sphere of influence. Now, this might be the circle where we have the potential to make the most difference. Because here's the thing. People inside the circle of influence don't always take the time to give positive comments to one another, to say positive and encouraging things to one another. And so if, if you're inside this circle with the people that you know and you take the time to go out of your way uh, and provide encouragement and feedback, it can make all the difference for somebody. Because too often at work, okay, we get so focused on our job and getting all the work done and making sure that we get our task taken care of, we forget to look around and see what everybody else is facing. And if the ratio is 10 to 1, complaints to compliments, then you know most people in this circle could use some encouragement. And so at work, if you're a boss or supervisor of people, you can make a huge impact on the people you already lead by just setting aside some time to encourage your team. You know, don't be that boss that everybody fears coming down the hall because every time you come to see them, you're only going to talk about something negative. You want to give them negative feedback. You know, find specific ways of encouraging people on your team. You know, ask them how they're doing at home and really mean it. You know, don't, don't just ask to be asking, but ask because you want to do something about it. You want to encourage. Take the time to listen. Asking a question like that and listening really shows people that you care about them, not just about their performance, but about them as a person. Again, this circle is the area where we can have significant influence on people's lives, but only if we take the time to identify their needs. So what would it mean for you this week if you stopped your next-door neighbor or a neighbor down the street, and you just ask them how things were going in their life. The last time you had that conversation, they talked about that issue their child was struggling with or that, that thing in their marriage or whatever. I mean, what, what would it mean for you to stop and encourage them? I mean, what would it mean for you to um, talk with people that you uh, work with, your colleagues at work, and, and to stop and ask them about uh, what was going on in that relationship that they came to you with last time? You know, what would it mean for you to, uh, when you hear those conversations on the sidelines at the next soccer game or the next baseball game, you hear those parents, over, you overhear those parents talking about that one child that they're struggling with to encourage them 
in some way. You know, we've got the opportunity to do that. So here's what, make a list of the people that are in this sphere that, you know, might need encouraging, you know, and then take some time to find ways to encourage them with your words. I mean, think about Facebook friends. Facebook friends are in this circle, all right? These are people we have influence on. You may not believe it, but we have influence on people that, are, that see our Facebook feed. You get to see some people who you probably think are very negative and very toxic down your Facebook feed. Now, what can you do? You can block them. That's one way to take care of it in your life, right? But what can you do to encourage that person? Are there words that you can say? Is there something that you can do to be an encourager to that person who's in your circle of influence? I mean, think about that. What about that person who's going through a tough time at school? Set aside time to let them know you care about them. So there's life, there's influence, and finally, there's this smallest circle, what I would call our inner circle. This is your, the people that are closest to you. It's your, your family, whether it's parents or kids or it's your spouse, uh, siblings. Um, maybe it's very close neighbors or very close friends. Maybe it's your connection group. It's the people that we are the closest to. And now, while this circle of influence may be the area where you can make the most difference because there aren't a lot of people speaking encouragement across in that circle, this inner circle is where your words carry the most weight. All right? It's where we have to be very careful about the words we use because these relationships are the most intimate and the most vulnerable. Your, your words and your reactions with these people carry so much weight that we need to be careful about what we say. And we're, we make sure that we're saying everything we need to say, but even not saying the things that are better left unsaid. You know, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, says this to his female readers. He says, do you know that the men in your inner circle are asking what the men in your inner circle are asking themselves? Inner circle. At any age, they're asking themselves, do I have what it takes? It's true. Our preteen boys are wondering if they have what it takes. Middle and high school boys are asking if they have what it takes to make the team or the band. They're asking if they have what it takes to join the club or to make it into college or to ask the girl out. They ask themselves, do I measure up to my peers? Younger men are asking if they have what it takes to make it in the world, to be a husband or father. Most new dads are asking themselves this question when they hold their new baby in their arms. Not only are they asking about their ability to make it at home, but they ask about it at work as well. Do I have what it takes to make it at my job or the next one? Even as men approach or enter into retirement, when so much of their identity has been based on a career, men ask, do I have what it takes to make a positive contribution now that I'm not working? Do I have what it takes to provide for my family? Women, I tell you that because the men in your life need encouragement. They need to hear your words of encouragement, to hear that you believe in them and that they have what it takes. I got done with first service and my wife said, honey, that was a really great message. She said, I'm not just saying that because it was about encouragement and I know you need to hear that. Eldridge goes on. He says, men, do you know what question women ask? They ask the same question. But not only do they ask that question, but they also have the added pressure of trying to look a certain way. Women more than men have to live up to an impossible ideal of what it means to be beautiful. They're competing with images of airbrushed women on the fronts of magazines. Because our society has set an unrealistic standard of beauty, the women in your inner circle need to hear words of encouragement. Your wife and your daughters need to hear that they are noticed, valuable, and beautiful just as they are. Now, if you don't believe this to be true, one report showed that one out of ten girls has an eating disorder of some kind. I read this this week, 40%, 40% of girls 9 or 10 
have already dieted at least once. Nine or 10-year-olds, 40%. And 53%, over half of American girls, are unhappy with their bodies. It's sad, and it's so unfortunate. We shouldn't settle for it. That's why your encouraging words have the power to make a difference. By the way, do you know what the number one cause of teens and preteens with poor body image is? There was an article in the paper about this a few months back. It's from moms. Your daughters have a poor body image because of moms. And it's not because you're telling them they're fat. It's because of you saying around them that you feel fat. And self-encouragement is so important too. And parents, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this, okay? While the average ratio of criticism to compliments is 6 to 1 in the world as a whole, okay? The parent-child relationship, it's 8 to 1. We're worse with our kids than we are around our peers and other people. That means we give our children 8 negative comments for every one positive comment. I mean, talk about a punch to the gut. That's unacceptable. Now, maybe that's not true in your household. I pray that it's not. But think about it. When's the last time you said something encouraging to your child that wasn't coupled with a criticism or a critique? You know, that doesn't mean we don't instruct and guide and teach our children, but even then we need to make sure that we're finding encouraging ways, okay, to do that. And, and just so we're not picking on moms and dads, uh, teenagers, preteens, I want to talk to you too. Your parents could use some encouragement too. Now, I know your mom and dad are weird and unreasonable, and completely and hopelessly out of touch, all right? That's just how moms and dads are. But I promise you they're trying. They're trying hard. They're doing their best to provide for you, and they want the very best for you, and they love you so much. They're working hard to provide an environment where you can have the very best. And a word of thanks, a word of encouragement could radically change the direction of your parents' day and the relationship that you have with them. Go out of your way to encourage your mom and dad. Don't be afraid, you know, to encourage your teachers and your coaches. And uh, when you're out in public with friends at a restaurant, at movies, or at the mall, you know, encourage those people who are serving you, who are waiting on you. Encourage them with, with your words. Encourage them with your respect. I promise you they won't see it coming. They, they don't expect that from teenagers. Everybody has this uh, image of what teenagers are, and it's not respectful, and it's not encouraging. And just think of the difference you can make for your whole generation for using words of encouragement. Now, what should we see as a result of our encouragement? Well, again, Solomon tells us this. In Proverbs eleven twenty five. he says, whoever refreshes will be refreshed. You know, that word refresh can also be translated in some translations. It says encouraged, you know. How incredible is it that when we take time to encourage others, it's not just them that get encouraged, but we get encouraged too. It's just another one of those reminders that when we hear God's word, we apply it to our lives. It brings freedom. It brings joy. It brings, well, in this case, it brings encouragement to our lives. When we make an effort to be encouraging, we will be encouraged too. Now, if you're worried that this means that we shouldn't ever critique anyone for anything, all right, that's not what this is saying. We, we all know in life and work, in our marriages, in our home, in our families, there are going to be times when we have to say something corrective. But when you do, you can apply some common sense guidelines that I think make that um, help more helpful and less hurtful. Uh, first is this. Make it specific. Okay, if you're going to criticize somebody, make it specific. Don't say, you always or you never. You know, Say, in that moment, you did this, and it made me feel this. Right? So we're doing it specific. Uh, do it at the right time. Second, 
uh, in the heat of battle, in the middle of an argument, is not the right time to criticize or critique or try to change something. When emotions are running high, you're not going to incite change. You're just going to incite a riot. And so uh, when you're ready to insert something, take a step back, think about your words, and save that for later when the heat is off. Number three, do it in private. Don't do it in front of a big group of people. Uh, don't do it on Facebook. Facebook is not the right place to criticize your husband. It might be easy. It might be funny. But it's not helpful, and it's not right. Don't, don't critique your parents on Twitter. All right? They're not going to read it anyway, first of all. Most of them. But second of all, it's not the right place. Do it in private uh, when you can talk to that person one-on-one. It's much easier to do on social media, but it's not the right place to affect change. And fourth is to do it with love. I'm telling you this because I love you and I care about you, and I want to see you become a better person. Maybe you're in a place right now where you look back over the last week or weeks of your life and you start to think about your words and you realize that I've used a lot more discouraging words than encouraging words. Maybe you look back over the last few weeks of your life and what you see is a pile of burnt matches. And you see destruction in your wake. You've spoken, think about the way you've spoken to friends and family and to coworkers or to kids, and it's clearly affected those relationships. I want to show you one other thing. If you're wondering why this happens to you, why does this always happen to me? In Luke 6.45, Jesus reminds us this. He says, For what the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. And so when we think about those words and those discouraging words, it's not just our words that are discouraging. What Jesus says, it's because you've got discouragement in your heart. And so my question for you is this. What are you putting in your heart? If you're filling it with discouragement from others or with wasteful things, with bad fiction or frivolous TV or movie selections or songs that speak words of discouragement, then that's what's in your heart. You need to fill it with the love and the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ that only comes from a relationship and the joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus. So the application today is pretty simple. Uh, Find ways this week to encourage those people in all three circles of your life. You know, find words to use to encourage some people who are in your inner circle. Find a way to encourage those people who are in your circle of influence. And, And even today... Find a way to encourage those people that are kind of on the outskirts of your life. Be intentional in the words you choose and the people that you go out of your way to encourage. You know, what would it mean for you if you became known as a person of encouragement? If people would know you as an encourager and they like to see you walking down the hall? And what, what, would you, what if you passed the, what we call the parking lot test, where you pull into the parking lot and you're excited to see somebody's car in the parking lot? Wouldn't you like that to be you? Set a goal for yourself to encourage a certain number of people every day or every week. You know, um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. I I thought I'd tell you that so you could get a head start on your shopping. Um, But a couple years ago in October, uh, the pastors on staff here all received a bunch of notes from connection groups. And um, they're so meaningful. I've kept a lot of them around, and I keep them in my desk drawer. This one in particular is from our women's Bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings at the Noblesville campus. And it's um, just all these people that just put encouraging statements around here. And, and I could get it out. And sometimes when I'm discouraged, I'll get it out and I'll read it. And I've kept this for a couple years now. I mean, just, just think if you, had, you were the provider of something like this to draw on for somebody. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give you a head start. And so you, you got this card this week, uh, today when you walked in. Pull that out. 
I'm not going to have you write out this card right now. It's going to take too long. And I want you to put some thought and a prayer into it. But I do want you to think, who's the person that comes to mind that needs encouragement in your life? Maybe it's somebody in your inner circle, somebody that you know you've said something you've, you've heard or somebody who's going through a tough time that needs encouragement. Maybe it's somebody on your street, on your block, uh, in your office, whatever it is. I, I, just take a minute and write their name on there. There should be a pen in the seat in front of you. Would you just write a name on the front of this card? You don't have to do the whole thing right now, but, but write a name on it. I'm gonna give you just a minute to, to write the name of somebody who you know needs some encouragement this week. And even as you do that, I'm trusting that you're going to take some time this week and write the rest of that note with positive words and encourage somebody and, and hand that to them or send it off to them because you want to be known as an encourager. I mean, just think about that. I mean, think about the difference that we could make as Christians if we were known for our positive words and not for our negative words. What if we were known for what we're for and not what we're against? I mean, what does it mean for you to see yourself in the role of encourager for this world. And with all the people around you and the relationships in your life, you and I have an opportunity to be light in a world that's so full of dark words. And not just in encouragement, but in everything we've talked about in this series, in in forgiveness, in confession, in generosity, in trust. I mean, see, here's the thing. Here's the key to this series. Christ died to give us eternal life. You know, we have the promise of eternal life because of his death on the cross. And that eternal life doesn't start after we die. It starts now. It starts the moment that we decide to open our hearts to Jesus and, and fall under his lordship and let him be the Lord of our lives. And so that's why it's important that we take this scripture that he's given us and apply it to our lives. Because if we're going to let him be Lord, we've got to let him tell us how to live. And so here's what I want to challenge you with this, this, this week and, and in the weeks to come, even as we go on, as you read scripture, as you um, do your personal study, would you take all of it and think about what it means to apply it to your life? Start applying scripture to your life as you read, as you pray. How can you better be a light for others? I want to do that right now. I want to pray uh, with you. But as we do that, I'd love for you to stand. Would you stand? As I, I want to pray over you too. Lord, I thank you that you've given us that promise of eternal life, that for all who believe in the name of Jesus, that you've given us the promise of eternal life. And Lord, we just commit to you today that we know that that life starts today, that it starts with the scripture we read, either up here on the screen or in our Bibles when we're at home, that we can take that truth that you've given us and we can apply it to our lives. And it doesn't just count for our eternity, God, and and for what comes after death, but it counts for right now that we can be a light to the world as you've promised, that we can uh, shine some light in places where it doesn't usually go in our families, in our, uh, our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, I pray that we would have the power to do that this week. We know that it's not natural for us to be encouragers, that we can only do that through the power that's given to us through Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that your spirit would be on this church this week as we go into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, and we have the ability to influence change for good by the words we use. God, I thank you that only through Jesus Christ do we have this promise of eternal life and this promise of being able to be a light for others. I thank you that you've given that to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.